Today on Locked on Ducks Hockey, it's a new week, it's a new month, and we have a special guest on Locked on Ducks, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Good morning, my fine feathered friends. This is Locked on Ducks, your daily podcast covering the Anaheim Ducks. Don't forget, you'll get fresh daily content Monday through Friday about the Anaheim Ducks. Last week was Thanksgiving, so for those of you that celebrated, happy American Thanksgiving. And if you didn't, then happy, I don't know, happy end of November. It is now December. And before I get into the show, you can hear this podcast or any of the shows on the Locked On Podcast Network via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher. Or try asking Siri, hey Siri, play Locked On Ducks and see if that works. Or try looking manually on the Apple or Google Podcasts. If you're listening already, be sure to subscribe if you have not already. And also, we're on Twitter at LO underscore Ducks or follow me at StimpyJD. And coming up on the show later in the second segment of the show, I have a special guest that is going to be from Locked On Kings. But before we get into that segment, we have to talk about the game that happened on Friday afternoon. Yeah, it was a 1 p.m. matinee game against the Winnipeg Jets. And Ducks fans, you might want to turn your ears away if you don't want to hear me for a few minutes ramble about how bad that game was. And I'm not going to go too long into it because it was that bad. Uh, starting off, it was Connor Hellebuck versus John Gibson on the Black Friday special. And even early on, Andre Kasha, he got checked on the head and immediately went down to the locker room for a concussion protocol. And then right after that, Eric Gudbranson immediately fought Anthony Batetto, who demolished Kasha with the high open ice hit. It looked pretty bad at first, but Kasha came right back out on the ice the next period. Turns out he's okay. Then, later on with about uh, 14 and a half minutes left, there was almost a goal that was being reviewed. Max Jones almost shoved the puck through the line while the puck was inside Hellebuck's leg pads, but because the whistle blew, it was called no goal. Yeah, that was a catalyst for the entire game, because at the beginning, both teams felt each other out. Both teams went for short passes, but not going for shots on net in the first 10 minutes of the game. And both teams did get chippy after the first two TV timeouts. First, it was Ryan Getzloff. Then it was Derek Grant. And the latter of that resulted in a penalty against the Jets as Juna Luto got two for roughing. However, that first power play, no one helped each other out as far as getting pucks against the dasher boards or being close to the scrum. There was no help. Also, Winnipeg got in the way of seemingly every pass. Either the Jets are always one step ahead of the Ducks or, and I think this is true, the Anaheim power play is so predictable at this point of the season that the teams know where the passes will go on every power play. Yeah, it is predictable. It is stagnant. I'm not going to say it again, but that's how bad the power play has been all year for the Anaheim Ducks. Then with about five and a half minutes left, or 5.50 left, Anthony Potato lost the puck on the blue line and slipped while receiving the pass. And Jakob Silverberg took the loose puck and started a two-on-one going the other way that everyone thought was going to be a sure goal. However, as Max Jones got the pass from Sylphie on the break, he got tripped up by Neil Pionk, resulting in another power play for the Ducks. So that two-on-one probably could have resulted in a goal, and that was a very good penalty to take by Neil Pionk because 
the Ducks power play, as I said before, has been awful. And guess what? The second power play was just as bad as the first. It took too long to set up, little to no movement all around the offensive zone. Later on, after that, Nick Ritchie then got penalized for charging on Neil Pionk. And Patrick Laine got one strong shot on Gibby, but it hit him right on the logo. And after one period, both teams had exactly four shots on goal, and that was it. Oh, but with 18.52 left in the second period, Kyle Connor shielded the view of John Gibson, and Pyong slapped a one-timer from the blue line for a power play goal for the Jets to make it one nothing. Then with about 10 minutes left in the period, Nikolai Ehlers got right between the faceoff dots on a pass from Blake Wheeler, and John Gibson had about a half dozen players right in front of him, and he never saw the shot released. In fact, he didn't react when the shot first left Ehlers' stick. So that made it, you know, too... I mean, it was bad. The Ducks began to play a little bit more aggressively, and they started peppering shots on Connor Hellebuck. Granted, most of those shots aren't of the dangerous variety, and Connor was able to stop every shot as a result. And Anaheim did begin to get into the offensive zone easier, and they began to wear down the defense. You know, Cam Fowler managed to squeak one past Hellebuck, but it rolled just wide of the goal, so it was still 2-0 Jets. And the reason for the Jets' defense getting more tired was because Dmitry Kulikov was out of the game with an injury. Uh, Kulikov only skated four shifts in the first period before leaving the game. So Winnipeg was down 1D. They were playing with five defensemen. And towards the end of each period, the Jets' defense was getting tired. Anaheim should have taken more advantage of that, and they didn't. While they had more puck possession in the second period, they just couldn't scratch one on the board. I know they hit a post at some point, and Winnipeg did score twice. The shots on goal were 17-11 in favor of the Ducks after two periods, but again, those shots were not dangerous. A few of them came from the blue line. A lot of them came from the sides. You know, they just aren't aiming for those corners. And going into the third period, the Ducks' errant passing in the neutral zone continued. And in fact, with 18-09 left, another errant pass went right to the Jets and began to break for Winnipeg. Mark Shifley received the puck from behind the net, and he zipped a quick pass to Kyle Connor for a blistering one-timer that found the corner of the net, and that put the Jets up 3 to nothing. And that's pretty much how the rest of the game went off. There was a couple penalties there. Holzer got, a, got two penalties, one for interference, one for cross-checking. Not smart plays by Corbinian Holzer because it prevented Anaheim from having any kind of momentum. Did not give them much puck possession. And there was just some bad turnovers at the end that resulted in some high-quality chances for the Jets. Frankly, Gibson is lucky he only gave up the three goals because the defense let him down big time on this one. And the Ducks lost 3-0. Final shots on goal were 24-20 in favor of the Ducks. So what happened here? You know, lack of a power play might have happened there. I mean, you know, the Ducks for the bajillionth time this year are not getting any movement on their power plays. And it's really beginning to show that opposing teams are just ahead of them one or two steps on those power plays. That's got to be fixed. That's really got to be addressed by Coach Eakins, by the assistant coaches. The Ducks cannot get by relying on John Gibson all the time, and they're doing it once again this season, which is why the Ducks are plummeting towards the bottom of the standings, and we get into this game tonight where the Ducks play a team that is also in the bottom of the standings. 
as far as power plays go, the Ducks were 0 for 2, and those two power plays in the first period really set the tone for the entire game. The lack of any movement on the power play may have taken away any momentum, which is a shame for the Ducks because they had Winnipeg tired. They had them kind of blowing and back on their heels on a couple plays and just could not take advantage. Or really what it is is they didn't have any effective passes in the neutral zone. That's something that's got to change. And you got to feel for John Gibson here, who is putting on a great show for the fans. He's made some terrific saves. He just can't get more wins, something that the Ducks have to fix. Coming up after the first intermission, I bring in Sarah Avampado from Locked On Kings. But before we talk to Sarah, I want to tell you how you can save food with DoorDash. Yeah, treat yourself to the meal you deserve and have your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code Locked On. Hearing on the go? If you can't visit DoorDash right now, then you can find this and all other offers from Locked On sponsors at LockedOnPodcasts.com forward slash offers. Coming up after the intermission, Sarah Avampado joins me. Stay locked in. Welcome back to Locked On Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. You're locked in with Jason J.D. Hernandez on this Monday show, and I have a special guest skating into the studio. Joining me, you see what I did there? Joining me today from the Locked On Kings podcast is Sarah Avampado. Sarah, how are you doing? I am very good. That was a delightful little pun you you, you drove me in with. <laughs> We, we, we had to throw in some classics in there. Okay, so the reason I'm having you on, the reason we're going on each other's podcast, is this is the first meeting of the season between the Los Angeles Kings and the Anaheim Mighty Ducks, otherwise known as the Mighty Ducks, otherwise known currently as the Anaheim Ducks. <laughs> I've, I've watched a certain movie this weekend. I'll just say that. I'll... I'll preface I can't s- believe that it's taken this long. I know, right? <laughs> For these teams. <laughs> it's December. They should have met once already. These two teams meet twice in two weeks. They meet on December 2nd on Monday, a Monday night for crying out loud. And then they meet on Thursday the 12th, both games at the Ponda. So, Sarah, first I want to point out that both teams, I I would say they're struggling in the standings. I mean, there's no way around it, right? <laughs> I mean, who? what are you talking about? The, we're I mean, both going to meet in like the Western Conference Finals. Oh, real? Oh, okay. I, I right. mean, we're going to meet in the Western Conference. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely. And if you believe that, <laughs> I have some great land to sell you somewhere. <laughs> and what's going to invariably happen is they're going to meet in a game seven. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm not going to give that pain to Ducks fans today. But I will start with uh, one question that I did really want to ask. What's the biggest difference since Todd McClellan took over for the Los Angeles Kings? I think the biggest difference is just seeing all of the players be engaged again um, under, you know, under a year and a little bit of John Stevens, like they were engaged, but whatever he was doing wasn't working for them. And they kind of 
the the cool dad who's only sort of disappointed in you act like didn't really vibe with the players. And then Willie Desjardins just did not have any command of the room. And he was sort of set up to fail anyway by everyone knowing that he wasn't going to be back the next year. Um, and so seeing the players buy in to what Todd McClellan is teaching them I think has been a really big difference and you're not seeing a group of guys who, when they get down two or three goals, they quit, um, which is sort of what happened last year. And, you know, no one on the team wants to admit it. And every time it gets pointed out, they all disagree with it. But, you know, you just watch those games from last year and you knew that as soon as they were down, the game was done. Uh, and this year they have had multiple games where they fought back from a deficit. Um, they don't usually win, but they at least will get close to it, which is a lot more than we can say for last season um, and just some of the works he's done with systems, um, you know, people who are more brilliant hockey minds than me can talk much better about the systems, but it looks a lot like they're harder to play against. You know, they're not just dumping the puck in their Their forecheck is better. They're having a little more strategy towards getting into the zone. And then once they get in it, there is usually a plan for what to do, which is not what they did last year. Last year was just five guys all kind of doing their own thing. Right. And this year, Todd McClellan's like, no, here's what we're doing. Now go do it. Although I think one aspect of that where it's not working as much is the power play, because we we've seen it for the Kings. The power play isn't the best this season. They're, it's among, so bad. they're among the bottom five the only reason the Kings power play looks good by comparison is because the Ducks power play looks worse <laughs> than, <laughs> than the Kings. You've heard me say it all season long, and I'm going to keep saying it. The Ducks power play, the Kings power play isn't much better, <laughs> which is sad to say. And I think one game you were referencing took place last week on Monday where the Kings came back from a 3 nothing deficit to San Jose only to lose in overtime, but they got a point at least. Yeah. Yep. If not, if not for Patty. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, well, what other narrative could you have than uh, it had to be like the, the uh, him or Thornton. the narrative, like, the narrative that's, that's... is, is Patty Moe strikes yet again at age 40 <laughs> something. <laughs> if that is his real age. Next, next question I want to ask. <laughs> Sorry, seeing Kyle, if you're listening. <laughs> um, next, I want to talk about the start. Um, given the start that they had, what deals do you think the Kings are looking to possibly make well before the trade deadline in mid-February? You know, I think that one thing that, you know, Rob Lake has taken a lot of criticism, some of it justified for the moves that he's made, but he has been really good at... Um, not giving up draft picks and not um, or, or, and not giving up prospects or anything just to make a deal. Uh, and so what I would expect to see is much like how they got rid of uh, Jake Muzzin way before the deadline last year, I could see them doing the same with another player this year. Tyler Toffoli is the one whose name keeps coming up in discussions. He's in a contract year. He is someone who isn't performing up to the level that we know he could be. Which um, makes him a little more expendable, be... unfortunately. Yes. Yeah. Uh, a little more expendable. And there are a lot of younger players coming up who I think could fight for NHL time next year. So you got to free up spots somehow. And 
sending Tyler Toffoli on his way is sadly, uh, as a fan favorite, uh, probably going to be the easiest way. So I could see him on sort of a Jake Muzzin-esque trade of sending him somewhere in January uh, to give him A, a new 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 start, and B, get some assets in return for him. So now if only he could start producing more uh, mm-hmm. and get, get a few more assets back in exchange. But, you know, the Kings certainly aren't going to be looking to add bodies. So anything that they can do to just have it be, you know, picks and prospects as opposed to please give us a player, I think is what they're going to be doing. Um, I know other guys who are on expiring deals are like Trevor Lewis and Cal Clifford, uh, both of whom could be attractive to a team looking to add like veteran grits and Stanley cup winning knowledge or whatever. Uh, But there was one, I think it was in the athletic. There was, a quote from an anonymous scout or executive that basically said every team already has a Trevor Lewis. You know, yeah. they are, they all have that guy who is just sort of a guy, but everyone loves him. Uh, so he, he may be a little harder to move, but I would expect that one, probably one of them uh, goes at the trade deadline as well. So going to be missing a few faces um, to Foley's the most likely candidate and probably the easiest to move. So maybe saying goodbye to him. Which segues into another question that I think I'm going to flip-flop here, but you mentioned that players could be coming up, prospects could be coming up. You know, you have players like Matt Luff. I love Matt Luff, by the way. One of my favorite players out there. (laughs) And another fan favorite, Curtis McDermott. They're either yo-yoing up and down between the AHL and NHL, and or they're just healthy scratches sitting in the rafters. So do you see them making any impact with the Kings this year? I think McDermott, he is what he is. And I think his ceiling is that sort of sixth, seventh defenseman. And, you know, he's a guy that the guys in the room love him, but the analytics crowd and, you know, people who look at hockey is more than just like old school fighting guys. Like they look at him and go, why is he here? Um, I've kind of come around to like, like his game is a lot better today than it was a couple of years ago. Um, and I don't hate seeing him in the lineup, but I think that where he is is where he should be, which is okay to be a healthy scratch can come in and contribute and not actively be detrimental as long as he doesn't start like, trying to pretend that he's do, trying to pretend that he's drew Dowdy. Like every so often he like jumps up on the play or like pinches. And I'm like, why are you doing that? Curtis McDermott? Like hey, he, he had a goal don't, earlier don't. this You're season. You're not drew Dowdy. <laughs> he did. He did. And it was very surprising to everyone, including him. I think it was. <laughs> so I think that he, he's kind of, he's kind of where he is expected to be. And I don't think that he is going to, become a different player or become a guy who you want in your lineup every day. Luff, I think can be, and probably should be an everyday NHL player. And he's sort of stuck in the, like the numbers game, like a log jam of just, there's not necessarily a place for him. And they have guys who they are trying to get a better pulse on to see what they have in them. Um, So I think that he will be a good, like, you know, third, fourth liner kind of guy who can provide offense and maybe play up if you need him to. And he just needs a more consistent opportunity. And so I could imagine, especially once bodies start moving out around the trade deadline, that he could probably be getting some more playing time to to show what he can do. And I know, you know, last year, 
he's a guy who kind of plays with a little chip on his shoulder of, Mm -hmm. you know, being sent down, called back up, sent down, called back up. And he'll go on. He's he's a guy who needs a lot of confidence, I think, and who needs to get regular playing time to have that confidence in his game. So I think that he'll he'll be doing that yo-yo for a while um, this season until there's enough room for him. But I definitely want to see more from him. He's such a fantastic player with the Ontario reign when he comes down to Ontario. And you look, like you said, Toffoli could be a trade ship. Once you lose Toffoli and maybe someone else, then there would possibly be more room for Matt Luff later on down the line, which I know a lot of fans are hoping for, you know, basically because you'd be yeah. losing that contract. You'd have a little bit more flexibility as far as money goes, right? Yeah, and and it gives him a chance to show, you know, show show the team what they have in him. You know, he's a restricted free agent at the end of the season, so, you know, he's fighting for his next contract too. So he's going to want – this is where it comes into, like, a little bit of – you know, corporate mind games too. And that the Kings are probably going to want him to not play a whole ton because they want to keep his next contract low. He's going to want to play a lot. So that way he can be like, no, look how good I am. Like, give me a better deal. Yeah. So there could be a little gamesmanship in there too. But, you know, I, I think that he, he definitely deserves a spot in the lineup and he is an exciting player and he's always, you know, one of the best players on the ice in Ontario. So just needs that kind of confidence and steady playing time um, with the Kings to really be able to prove it there at the NHL level. (laughs) Sarah, can you stick around a little bit longer? Absolutely. Awesome. Coming up after the second intermission, more with Sarah Avampato. Stay locked in. Welcome back to Locked On Ducks. I am joined still by Sarah Avampato of Locked On Kings and Jules from The Crown. I have a couple more questions I want to ask if you are ready. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I have to ask, which Kings players have been the most underrated and maybe overrated so far this season? Oh, this is a hard one. (laughs) You know, underrated, you even gave me this question in advance and I still didn't have an answer for it. Um, you know, I, I think that an, one underrated player is always, to me, Alex Iafalo. Um, I think that he's a guy who gets a lot of crap for being someone on the first line who doesn't score like 30 goals a year or whatever, which like, that's fine. I get it. And, you know, is he going to be your first liner in you know, Washington or on Boston. No, he isn't like the Kings are working with what they have. Um, but the fact is that Anja Kopitar likes playing with him because he likes knowing that he's got, you know, two kind of pesky guys on his wings when he's with Dustin Brown that are going to go into corners and get pucks and sniff stuff out and get it to him. Uh, and so I, I think that he, would I like to see him develop more of an offensive game? Yes. Like he you know, on a, on a good team on an elite team, he would probably be like a third line guy who scores sometimes, but for the Kings, they, they, they have what they have. And he is a guy who I don't think gets enough attention for playing the game the right way. And for playing committed, you know, I I don't really see him quitting on plays or quitting on pucks in the corner. Like he plays hard every shift that he is out there. And so I think that he is a little underrated just because he's getting big minutes, but not necessarily providing the offense, but you know, Anja Kopitar is leading the team in points and they're certainly not coming on the power play. They're coming at even strength. And so some of that, 
you know, is helped along by having a line mate like Ayafalo who will do some of the dirty work to help Kopitar get the puck to help him score. Mm-hmm. Um, overrated. This is going to like Kings fans cover your ears. Like, don't oh, I, I have an answer. This. I have an answer too. Don't worry. <laughs> I like my answer is always Drew Doughty. Oh like, my! I just, <laughs> like he, I he just frustrates me because he knows what the issues are with his game. He knows that he tries to do do things too much, and he he tries to be everything and on every shift, and he tries to play you know forty minutes a night or whatever. And he at least has cut down on the like you know, immature, like unsportsmanlike conduct nonsense that he kind of had going for a little while. But, you know, I, I think that, you know, any team would love to have him. And so in that sense, like talent level wise, he is not overrated. Uh, you know, he is a very good defenseman, but I, there, there's just something that always rubs me the wrong way about, about him. Like you can't sit here every game and say like, Oh, you know, I just, I, I need to like, you know, not try to do everything and just play my role and whatever. Okay. Well, you've said that for like three seasons, so <laughs> it's time to figure it out. Um, you know, so like, yes, he is, you know, a phenomenal defenseman. Yes. The Kings would be in trouble without him, especially now that they're down Alec Martinez as well. But there's a lot of days where I would be like, you know what? He could go to the Leafs and that'd be fine. And yeah. like, We'll I just mean, start over. I mean, I have like, my own opinions okay. <laughs> on this. I will just quickly say I think Michael Amadio is a bit underrated. He's always been the under-the-radar guy, even in Ontario. Because when Amadio was down there, you had players like Kempe on the rain, who was highly touted back then. You had Perhorkin this year. You know, when Amadio was in Ontario, you had Matt Luff and Curtis McDermott getting a lot of play. Paul Ledoux was getting a lot of attention. Matt Roy was getting a ton of attention. And Amadio's kind of been that under-the-radar guy that I've always liked watching him play. And being on a line with Jeff Carter, I mean, Carts is the star of that line. We know that. But as far as overrated, now, okay, Kings fans don't hate me for this. I have two answers for this question, and neither of them are Drew Doughty. One of them, Ilya Kovalchuk. I hated, oh, yeah. I hated seeing that contract the minute it was signed. The minute I saw that news, I turned over to my friend and I said, "Watch this backfire on them. Just watch it burn." So, and obviously, look what's happened. Now, the second answer is a rain player. And I feel bad for saying this because he's played a small handful of games. I think you know where this is going. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Rain fans. I'm going to say this. I think Velarde's overrated. <laughs> Watch, watching him. What? Yes. Very much. Tell me more. <laughs> it, it's funny. Um, someone next to me said, I don't think he's overrated. I think he's very overrated. So just honesty hour here. I think with wow. I think he could be coming along further than he is right now. Yes, he got his first AHL point on Friday night. It was a lucky point. The Rain were lucky to get that goal late in the game. Um, he's making a lot of uncharacteristic turnovers that he's just got to shore up better. And his his play overall is really sloppy. I mean. Hopefully he will show something 
in December. But for right now, I think he's coming along a little bit slower than I would have liked. So that is my under, <laughs> that's my overrated pick. I feel wow. horrible saying this, but I'm, I'm going to stick with my answer. I have to stick with it. I mean, I, I respect the commitment. I, I respect the commitment. I will say the jury's still out on him for me. Um, I give him a lot of benefit of the doubt because he has played like three games of hockey in a two years or something. Um, but I, 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 I see what you're talking about. I will, I will hold my opinion, but the, I, I respect the, the commitment. To... <laughs> like I said, he's overrated for now. And the other reason yes. I give him some benefit of the doubt is they played Tucson, who was a very good team. They played Stockton, who was also a very good team. So they both made him look completely silly. And on one occasion, yeah, he got a little bit undressed on the defense. So some little things that need to be worked out. I feel I love it. I love it. I'm going to get it's, it's, hate it's a mail. Move. I like I'm going to get hate mail from the Kings fans. <laughs> I'll tell everyone to be nice. I, I respect <laughs> the commitment to. I mean, I just said Drew Doughty, so like, you yeah, know. you think you're going to get hate mail? I might get more hate mail. <laughs> but I'm going to stick with my answer. Respect. Oh, we'll end on a lighter note. I have a couple questions. This one I asked, you know, in advance. I thought it'd be fun to just bring Bailey into this. Is Bailey still the best mascot in the land? Kings fans don't listen. <laughs> gritty rules all. Like, all hail Gritty. Uh, there, there, there is no, no mascot better. Sorry, Bailey. I like you a lot, but at first that weird when I saw monster thing. At first, when I saw Gritty, I went, "What the hell is that? <laughs> like, what is this monstrosity?" But the more he kept getting made fun of on SNL, the more I kind of said, "Oh, okay, stop picking on him now. You've picked on him every week. He's becoming more and more loved." <laughs> And I mean, from a like hockey marketing perspective, like the team in Philadelphia behind Gritty is geniuses, like yes. whatever awards you can give them, like they deserve it. Whoever is in the Gritty costume, because no grit, like there is a person in there. It's not just a big orange monster. Uh, whoever is in that costume, like Wait, it's not just an like, orange monster. I feel like I just like ruined Christmas. Like P.S. Santa Claus also isn't. No, 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 no. Not in December. No. <laughs> <laughs> delete that no one listen there might be kids listening but like whoever is in there or wait hold on or like P P the P monster P that PSA is. to the parents PSA to the parents Santa actually is real parents tell your kids that okay go ahead Kings fans lie Kings fans are liars don't listen to me <laughs> but like who's ever in there is such a good like physical actor that like and there's a whole there's there's, there's a storyline there's a narrative with gritty that the other mascots I don't really feel like are taking advantage of that they too could have a a storyline like a character that's not just and then I bang this drum and throw popcorn on people like I want more stories like a, as someone who is a storyteller when I'm not doing hockey stuff like I love the like the continuity and like gritty has these bodyguards that follow him everywhere and like the, it's just it's just a very good campaign like the social media is great like they deserve all the awards. Um, I was at a game in Philadelphia last year, uh, last season, and I saw Gritty like from across the rink, and it was like Christmas Day. It, it was that exciting. So, will that change eventually? Like, will Gritty like 
wear everybody out, you know, probably. It'll but take for a right long now, time for that to happen. I got to go with, got to go with it. <laughs> okay. And I didn't ask this before, but I'm going to just give one more question here. So I went to Pachanga Arena yesterday and for the first time in a while, I actually bought arena food. So I will ask you this, even though neither of us are Canadian, should poutine be required in every professional hockey arena? <laughs> yes, if only they do it right. Because and bad poutine would be a travesty. So what other foods should be a requirement for hockey? For hockey? I mean, I really want like... I, I just want, I, like, I feel like I want, like, cozy foods, like hot chocolate and, like, chocolate-covered pretzels and, like, just stuff that makes me feel, like, warm and fuzzy. Oh, chocolate-covered like, pretzels. That's actually amazing. Yeah. Maybe some white chocolate-covered yeah. pretzels would be awesome, too. Yeah, but, yeah. Have a whole a whole lineup of, of candy foods. Yeah. I'll, I'll give credit to Pachanga Arena right now. They have a place. Oh, Mess Royale. I just recalled what it's called. Yoo-hoo! So, shout out to Mess Royale. They have five different flavors of poutine. Five different. That's so good. They have the, I'm so jealous. They have the OG poutine. They had the Canadian poutine, which was the typical poutine, but maple bacon with it as well. Ooh. That was amazing. They also have their own take on poutine because it is San Diego. They have carne asada poutine. <gasps> so you're mixing up. I need to go to San Diego. <laughs> they're mixing up a little bit of the Spanish with a little bit of the French Canadian. And I, I've i seen people try it. They say it's the best thing there. It's better than the maple bacon. So maybe I'll try that one next time. Maybe I won't. I'll be back there later this month. But poutine is a must in every arena, I think. That's just my opinion. Yes. I'm sure other yes. hosts share the same opinion. If they do it right, they definitely do it right in San Diego. So when you come down here next time, <laughs> when you come down to San Diego, actually take the time, go up to the concourse, and spend money on poutine. It's worth it than whatever food you might get in the press area or whatever. <laughs> I'm very excited about this. <laughs> Uh, Sarah, uh, any final thoughts, any final words before this heated matchup? <laughs> oh, at least we don't have to, like, deal with Corey Perry and Jonathan Quick fighting each other. Like, oh, goodbye, that rivalry. <laughs> we'll, we'll miss those days. Oh, yeah. Well, now we've just got new guys to, to – I'm excited to see who, who becomes the next big pest. Well, according to the Capitals, it's already Eric Goodbranson, <laughs> but that's another. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Sarah, thank you so much for coming on Locked on Ducks. It has been an absolute pleasure, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it was. Thanks for having me. It was fun. And I want to thank you, the listeners. And be sure to subscribe if you haven't already. And again, this show would not be possible without y'all listening. So thank you again very much. If you know any Ducks fans or Kings fans that might be interested in hearing a daily podcast about their favorite team or their most hated team, let them know. Tell them about Locked on Ducks. And you can follow on Twitter at LO underscore Ducks or follow me personally at StimpyJD, as in Ren and Stimpy. Yes, I know it's cold, it's rainy, it's snowy. Please be safe out there, guys, especially if you're going to the game on Monday. Be safe out there. 
And once again, thank you to Sarah Avampado from Locked on Kings to sort of preview the upcoming Kings versus Ducks rivalry matchup. For Locked on Ducks, I'm Jason J.D. Hernandez saying have a great week. I'll see you at the rink and Ducks fly together, Anaheim. Anaheim.